What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Monday edition of the Ringer Gambling Show. I'm Warren Sharp with SharpFootballAnalysis.com and joined today, as I am every Monday, by the one and only Chris Vernon, and we're going to break down all the interesting things that we noticed from the NFL games this weekend. Chris, what did you think? What did you take away from this weekend's action overall? The first thing that stood out to me, Warren, is uh, typically my Sundays are I've got the TVs going. And I'm pretty focused on red zone because I want to see all of the scoring plays. And there were not a lot of scoring plays, Warren, as I was watching it play. I mentioned this to you last week. Those early games, you know, there's zero points, 10 points, seven points for what feels like forever on these games. And last week, I remember coming in and saying to you, I wonder if there's anything to these early games and the lack of scoring this year because the late games and the night games seem to be flying over totals. But just from watching, and I don't know what the total numbers are. I'm sure you've got them in front of you. It certainly feels like scoring is down. Yeah, this week scoring was down. And you're right. Those early slate of games, the 1 p.m. kicks, um, there was only one game that went over the total. Wow. Uh, That was the Washington-Buffalo game. Uh, every single other game did fall under the total. And, you know, this was a weekend that we saw 11 unders and only four overs. And the points per game, week one, the average scoring was at 47.2. Week two, 47.7. Last week, Chris, 42.2. Whoa. And it's, it's, it's always interesting. Week three is always a huge 
week for me. It's a very important week for me because obviously I love just chatting football with you and doing all my shows at the ringer. And I obviously work for a few teams and offense coordinators, but of course, like one of the main things I do, the reason that people even want to hear my voice in general is because of what I've done from a sports betting perspective over the years. And the big baby of mine is, is my computer model. And I always fire that up at this time of the year. And last year in week three, it was fucking nothing but overs. Like I, I think we probably identified five games and we went over on all of them and, and, and perhaps swept the board. I mean, if not four and one, something like that, it was overs were the nuts last season for a variety of reasons. One of which was home field crowds, not there easier for offense to communicate less holding all the things that we discussed before the season and why we thought maybe, Hey, guess what? Scoring might be down a little bit in general this season. And I'm firing up this sucker, Chris, and I'm seeing a ton of value on different games unders this week. And, and, and so I was looking at it and I was like, okay, you know, I'm always a little apprehensive about betting unders pre-flop just because the back of my mind is thinking it's kind of easy to score in modern day NFL. Offenses generally have the upper hand over defenses. Like there's typically points and that's the square way to look at things, but it's also a factual way. Like good offense does have the edge over good defense just in general. And, but, but I could tell you deep down, like in my soul, I like betting unders because I win more often when I do that. Like uh, just my track record, my history, my unders crush when I do bet them. I just don't bet them a ton. And this week I'm looking at the stuff that we gave out the subs that I'm betting myself and like 75% of it was unders and it absolutely crushed. Like unders was the stone cold nuts this week. It's not fun. Who wants to sit there and root for people (laughs) not to score? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> that's it's the problem that's why the public <laughs> that's why the public tends to bet overs and historically um the betting markets took that into account and they would always shade these games a little bit more towards the over and so there was value in the unders and um there hasn't been as much of that lately with the scoring of the last couple of years um I've been betting a lot more overs in general um and this is why it's very difficult to just handicap and bet on games, especially totals, just blindly. Just like, oh yeah, I'm a fan of the NFL. Like I'm going to bet on these games over the total and uh, and and these this one game under the total. And I'm basically rooting for points. I th- like these two offenses they're playing against each other. That's how I'm going to do it. I mean, I- I've never operated in that manner. I have my computer model. I stick to it. It's it year in, year out. I know from my track record that I'm going to beat the books. The, the model that I have is superior to them, to what they use. And that's why every single season we've won and crushed with my totals. And so far, that's the way it's starting. But absolutely. I mean, I like it's easier for me to root for overs. Um, but, you know, the one game that was scary as shit, and we're going to talk about the Patriots in a second, the, just to transition into that one. But that game was a 
dead lock to the under. I mean, that game should not have come close to sniffing the over. We had a Mac Jones pick six. We had another uh, interception that was returned down to like the nine yard line that Jameis Winston ends up throwing this like prayer as he's getting sacked on third and goal from the 10 that gets caught in the end zone. I mean, that that game should never have come close to even going over the total. Uh, Unfortunately, it did go under but that was the right side. But that's just what happens in some of these games where, um, you know, you're betting the under and it's just like, oh shit, what this is, this is a 95%. Like as the game's being played out, this game should go under 95% of the time. But is this the time I'm going to get screwed here as Mac Jones is driving the ball at the very end to score a touch on in completely meaningless garbage time that could have sent the game over the total? Well, let me ask you about not only the Patriots, but we can get on to this rookie quarterbacks deal because. It might be four teams that we are looking at. At least a takeaway from week three is you sit there and you watch all of the rookie quarterbacks because it was a debacle for them this weekend. And you go, okay, what is the maximum amount of points I could see any of these teams scoring with these guys at the helm? Because not just Mac Jones, the Justin Fields debut, horrendous, uh, Trevor Lawrence, had a rough go against Arizona. Zach Wilson, of course, his team put up zero against the Jets. So let's kind of hit those one by one. I do. There was part of me that's watching those games yesterday, and I go, how spoiled did we get with Justin Herbert last year? And maybe even, (laughs) you know, Baker Mayfield, say whatever you want about him. The guy set the rookie touchdown record a couple of years ago. And so he had some immediate offensive success when he came into the league and we watched Herbert just a year ago. And now fast forward to this year, which was a very highly touted rookie class. I know they went to crap teams by and large outside of, outside of Jones, probably Uh, let's kind of hit those Mac Jones fields, Lawrence Wilson, and the takeaways. And are these all teams that we should probably be looking at, as playing under totals more often than not, because the quarterback play was just, I mean, it was was a rough go for these guys. No, it was. Let's, let's go one by one. Um, We'll walk through them slowly here. Uh, Mac Jones, obviously going up against the saints, this game by and large played out um, kind of the way that I, to a T, the way that I was expecting it, especially early on. I anticipated that the Patriots were going to, like both teams had done, my handicap on this game was both of these teams had leaned a lot towards the run. This is what we talked about on the Friday show. I believe the Friday show with uh, with House, um, that both of these teams had leaned a lot to the run and that we were probably going to see a fair amount of running, um, but that the Saints run defense was considerably better than what we have seen um, that the Patriots went up against the prior couple of games. And the Saints had the number three ranked run defense in the NFL, and they were really good last year. So what was Bill Belichick going to do here? Historically, Bill Belichick flipped to the pass, a short passing attack uh, with Tom Brady. Was he going to do that? Were they going to have any success running the football? What was that going to look like? And I went on the show uh, the ringer does a, a green room on Sunday mornings. And I went on with JJ at, at, um, I don't know, I think like 1230 right before the kickoff. And he loved the Patriots here. He loved the, And I said, I don't know. No, I, I don't, I don't like the Patriots here <laughs> at, at all. Um, 
Now, the issue became in this game that the Patriots could not run the damn ball. On early down runs over the course of the game, they averaged 2.6 yards per carry and only 27% success. They were terrible. So it had to fall down onto Mac Jones. Of course, when they got down, they did this even more, but they were actually passing the ball at a pretty high rate, much higher than before. In the, uh, in the first half of the game, they came out. 70% pass on early downs in the first half because they could not run the football. And Bill Belichick said, we're not going to try. This to me, and we'll even preview all the way to next week, Chris, a week from now, this to me felt a little bit like them getting Mac Jones ready to play the Bucks next week. For two weeks in a row, the Saints and the Bucks. The Patriots were going to be going up against two teams that have great run defenses. So you're best and most efficient manner to success is going to be, let's not try to run our head into a brick wall here. Let's try to throw the football a little bit. They were 70% pass on early downs in the first half. The problem was Mac Jones averaged only 5.1 yards per attempt and a 29% success rate on these plays and just was not looking very good. The Saints were getting a little bit of pressure on him and the Patriots could not run the football. So from that perspective, like that offense was dead in the water. Like they couldn't, when you can't run and your, your quarterback's getting pressured even on early down passes and the efficiency just isn't there, that's going to be very problematic. On the flip side of the ball, the way that that game ends up playing out, I was actually surprised that the Saints were able to move the ball as well as they did on the ground. They didn't average a lot of yards per carry uh, on these early down runs, but they had a pretty high success rate. And Jameis Winston, once again, was not asked to do much. He only completed 13 passes the entire game, only passed the ball for 128 yards the entire game. Um, you say, well, how did he pass for 128 yards and, and they put up uh, what 28 points is because of the def defense getting these interceptions, returning one, dry, running one back to the nine yard line, setting up these really short fields. Saints missed a couple of field goals that they should have had. Um, but overall, not a great day for Mac, not a great day for Bill Belichick and the game plan here. And I don't know if you saw this, Chris. I just tweeted it out like probably 30 minutes ago. On the final touchdown of the game, when it was still a one-score game, it was 21 to 13. The Saints were up. There was two minutes and 45 seconds left. And the Saints had the ball first and 10 inside the first and goal inside the Patriots 10-yard line with Bill Belichick with two timeouts in his pocket on defense, needing to keep this game a one-score game, has 10 fucking men on the field. And it's a direct snap to Taysom Hill, and he scores a touchdown. Bill Belichick subbed out personnel, didn't get Chase Vinovich onto the field. Ten men playing defense. And just like lack of attention to detail from the coaching staff and the players themselves. Wow. All right, let's move to the next guy, Justin Fields. Oh, my goodness. We're so excited. We kept on saying, what fun is it to watch Andy Dalton <laughs> and... Let me tell you something. It was more fun for Bears fans than this was because you just want, when your rookie quarterback comes in, you want this jolt of energy. You want this reason to believe. You want even flashes of 
what might be possible. Um, you know, we saw that in, in, in very, very minor way with Trey Lance when he came in uh, and they needed a touchdown for the 49ers before the half and he, and he runs it in and you're thinking to yourself like, oh, wow, this is a guy that could really turn a corner and might be able to really make plays with his legs. And the Fields thing was just a disaster. Number one, Miles Garrett is uh, tackling him what appears to be every other play. Um, he's taking all kinds of sacks in the game, and it was just an absolute disaster. You want there to be some reason to believe going forward, and at least for that debut, you hope that that is as bad as it gets because that that was a rough watch, Warren. Matt Nagy is the worst. That is all I have to say about this. Now, I, we could talk about Justin Fields. Was he ready? Is he prepared? Can he get it done? Is he better than Andy Dalton? Here's the bottom line. This was not a move that Matt Nagy wanted to make. He was forced to make the move because Andy Dalton is supposedly hurt, right? So let's assume Andy Dalton's hurt. We know that Nagy, before this game, said when Andy Dalton is back healthy again, he is our starter. Okay, so we know that they weren't want he didn't want to start Justin Fields here. That being said, that being said, Justin Fields was given the worst game plan that I have seen a rookie quarterback with his skill set given in a long, long while, particularly against that defensive front with those edge rushers and your shit offensive line expecting Justin Fields to operate as just a drop back quarterback in the pocket was atrocious. And let me go back for a second before I even talk about this game. When Matt Nagy last season was calling plays, this offense was a fucking disaster, Chris. And all of a sudden, Friday night before a game against the Minnesota Vikings, on Monday Night Football, Matt Nagy, in a tizzy, because everybody was shitting on his offense, gives the game plan and the play calling to Bill Lazor, okay? Just like that, Bill Lazor, their offense coordinator who does not call plays, doesn't design the offense, that's Matt Nagy's, all of a sudden Bill Lazor is expected to come in with They've already installed everything, right? It's Matt Nagy's install. That's not the OC, the guy who's going to be in charge of everything. Like all of a sudden now Bill Lazor's calling plays, okay? It was ridiculous to make that switch at that point in time. But long story short, the offense didn't look that good that very first week. Bill Lazor was in charge of that offense the rest of the season. And Mitch Trubisky was doing things and, and this offense was scoring points in ways that it never did for years under Matt Nagy, okay? And you could say they went up against some bad defenses. That's fine. The completion rates, the efficiency, the point productions that this offense got down the stretch when Bill Lazor was calling plays, increasing pre-snap motion rate, increasing play action rate, passing more on early downs, uh, passing more out of heavier sets, all the things that you're supposed to be doing. This is what Bill Lazor implemented. And you know what happens in the offseason? Matt Nagy comes back, they draft uh, Justin Fields, and Matt Nagy says, I'm taking back over play calling duties. And I wrote about it in the offseason, and I wrote about it in my book. It made no sense to do that. The time to take over play calling duties would be if your team is struggling out the gates this season, and you're like, 
Maybe I can be the savior. Let me take back play calling duties mid-season and we can see if it can get any better. But by taking back play calling duties before the season started, you got no options. You can't give them up again. You were hired to be an offensive mastermind. You, I don't know if you remember, Chris, like when we were all being introduced to Matt Nagy's wizardry when he first was hired at the Chicago Bears, it was all the um, Russell Crowe beautiful mind movie with this huge board that he was marking <laughs> up, this whiteboard thing behind him. That's a fraud. The whole thing is a fraud. That's not even real. This guy is terrible at designing offense and calling it. There was no reason for a game plan to be implemented like he did with Justin Fields as his quarterback and the play calling. I think Justin Fields had one pass attempt in the first quarter, one pass attempt. And I think it was on third, third down. I'm not hundred percent positive, but I think that was the case. How can you, the time to pass the ball with a young quarterback is when the defense might expect the run, not on third and obvious passing situation. Like I, I couldn't have been more disgusted. Now, Justin Fields did not play good, right? He, he was slow to make, get through his progressions. He was dropping his eyes. All of these things were relatively predictable with a pass rush like that and an O-line like that. And you're telling me that you're going to operate him as a drop back passer. We're not doing a lot of the read stuff. We're not booting him out. We're not rolling him out. We're not doing him, uh, using a lot of designed runs. It's like sit back and read the defense. It was almost like to me, Chris, and I'll end this rant with this. It was like Matt Nagy wanted to just put him in a tough situation and say, it reminded me a lot of what Hugh Jackson did with Deshaun Kaiser when when uh, he was implemented. Hugh was like, I just want him to run our regular offense. Like, if you want to play here, you have to run our regular offense. Instead of scheming up anything to tailor it to a quarterback, you just peg him into a hole and say, this is the offense that we run. You better be able to execute it. I thought it was trash. I did see some people saying last night, and this is a this is an easy one right now, considering Darnold started the season so well that there was some, hey, get this guy away from Matt Nagy before <laughs> he ruins him, like Adam Gase did Sam Darnold, or yeah. that you were in impossible peril of. And I'll tell you the funniest thing yesterday as we were watching that game, because uh, we were hoping Fields was going to be super fun. We're watching that game, and my son says to me, he's like, you know, he's like. This is crazy. He's like, they they were a playoff team last year. I said, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, they were. And I said, huh? Yeah. He said, they, he said, they were on that Nickelodeon yep. game. That's <laughs> I swear to you. He said, I remember the Nickelodeon game and Mitch Trubisky threw that bomb and the guy dropped the pass. And I was like, I'll be damned. The kid's got a better memory than I do. Um, but you think back, you know, it's kind of like we all moved into this. The Bears aren't any good. Mode when a year ago they did get a chance to play in the playoffs for God's sakes with Mitch Trubisky, no less. So and that was Bill Lazor down the stretch. By the way, the only reason yeah. they made the playoffs is because of Bill Lazor drawing up this offense to get there. Let's get to Lawrence. It looked good for a little bit, and then he made some critical mistakes against Arizona. At one point, they're up uh, 21-10, I think it was. They gave up the last three touchdowns, a couple real self-inflicted. Um, but they end up losing. Lawrence is certainly, you know, you watch him. He gets to throw the ball down the field more than his peers. Um, that's not always the best thing when he's throwing the ball down the field. Uh but he is at least, you know, they, it looked like they take some shots uh, with him. He's got a little more freedom 
Uh, I know that I, I saw that stat they put up on the TV yesterday that in terms of air yards, there weren't there weren't many guys that were averaging over 10 yards per attempt. He was one of them. I think he was one of two in the in the league. So it just told me that he's being treated a little differently than some of his peers in the sense that you watch fields and he doesn't even get to pass. You watch Mac and most of the time he's throwing the ball four yards. Um same and Zach Wilson's just like running for his life, wishing he could have had another year at BYU. <laughs> um, but what do you make of Lawrence so far? Jags, you know the the losing streak continues. Uh, it has not started all that well for Urban Meyer. Uh, but of the of the rookie quarterbacks, it appears at least he is given the most freedom thus far. It has not netted results, um, but at least he gets to throw it. If you're there to watch, you know, Trevor Lawrence play football. Yeah, I mean, like tying this to what we saw yesterday and and just him in general, um, this was his best game in terms of his completion percentage above expectation. He was at 1.9% above expectation. This is using like player tracking data, figuring out where the receiver is, how far down the field he is, how close the defender is to him, how close the pass rusher is to the quarterback when he's dropping back to pass. We're looking at like distances, measuring a lot of things. It's a computation uh, using the tracking data and 1.9% above expectation. In week two of the season, so that was like a little bit above average, okay? In week two, prior week, he was negative 10%, which was third worst in the NFL. In week one, he was negative 14%, which was the worst in the NFL. So he went from like negative 10, negative 14, now to a positive. So it was a good day. Obviously, he throws his costly pick six. He's being, the, the team is going to be losing in games, although at that point in time, they were winning, just made a bad mistake. Um, we're not expecting a lot from him. We see the arm talent. Um, they're not doing anything this year. Obviously the Jaguars are a bad football team. They've got to continue to build around him. So overall, um, you know, it was, it was fine. Good, good week. Like he got a little bit better this week. I think, um, he's going to be learning. It's a slow process for him. The one you worry about the most, if you, if you want to take, you know, we'll, we'll let the fields thing play out. It was one game. This is now uh, more than one game for Zach Wilson, and it just feels, I mean, hopeless. It really does. You know, you knew that it's a rough go when he's having to go up against the Patriots, and then he turns around, he's having to go up against uh, Vic Fangio. But now, you know, he's got a, he doesn't have his left tackle. He doesn't have a bunch of weapons. He's running for his like. You do worry about something like these struggles having a profound effect on a guy going forward and what he could eventually become that that gets altered because of being thrown in such a disastrous, possibly traumatizing situation. And so what about Zach Wilson and the jets and uh, Robert Salas, you know, Maiden Voyage as a head coach. What do we make of what's happened there so far? And are they about to jump into auto under auto fade territory? Um, no, I don't think so. I I think this is, I'm going to say something that might sound crazy, but I'm looking at it from a context, context perspective. I think we need to give Zach Wilson a little bit of a break. Um, I think Zach Wilson 
will look better. And this might be the week that he starts to. We always knew, I did, going into, and this is why I didn't bet on the Jets at all. The first three, I saw people, hey, maybe they have value this week. Maybe they have, no, no, because look at the defenses and the coaches on that side of the football that he's going up against the first three weeks of the season. The Carolina Panthers week one, their hallmark is their defense. They're the best defense in the NFL right now. The New England Patriots and Bill Belichick week two, who knows how to confuse the hell out of young quarterbacks. And then week three, Vic Fangio and the Denver Broncos. I mean, you couldn't draw up a worse slate for a young quarterback to be thrust into. He's taken every single bump, every single bruise, throwing all the picks. I agree with you that we got to get him headed in the right direction. I mean, he was not good this week. 160 yards passing, two interceptions, a 42 passer rating, negative 7.8 completion percentage above expectation. Um, he wasn't even that throwing the ball that far down the field. His intended air yards was only 7.7, uh, which is on the low end. But we, we've we've got to work with him now. He's got the opportunity for two weeks. I want to see Zach Wilson for two weeks here. He's got the Titans defense, and then he's got the Falcons defense, and then he's got a bye. And that Falcons game is in London, and then he's got a bye. Let's let's hope for the best. He's got an opportunity after playing these ridiculous defenses to now go up against a couple that he should be able to have a little bit more success against. I am a little bit worried, Chris, about Mike Vrabel of the Titans trying to steal some shit from what Bill Belichick had been doing with a lot of success two weeks prior. Uh, but I think in general, they don't have the players. Um, they don't have the coaching necessarily to replicate that system that caused Zach Wilson so much trouble. I think he gets a little bit better. I'm, I'm not I'm not betting that he does. I haven't bet anything on this game yet, but um, I'm hoping that he starts turning the corner here and starts to look a little bit better. Now, he does have a brutal schedule the rest of the way. He comes out of the bye and plays a number of difficult opponents, talking like the Patriots, then a bang, then the Bengals, and he's got the Colts defense, the Bills defense, the Dolphins defense. It, like Those are four of his next five games out of the bye uh, are the Patriots, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Colts. Uh, so not necessarily an easy schedule. I wasn't betting on them to do much this year, but we do want to see progress from Zach Wilson. All right. So they and that actually falls in line with some of the significant things that happened spread wise. The lines that were the most off in this past week for a favorite, it was the aforementioned Broncos. Their 10 point favorites they end up winning by 26. For an underdog, we covered the Saints. Uh, they beat the Patriots by 15, and they were three-point uh, dogs. Uh, Bengals, they won by 14 as a three-and-a-half-point dog, and that Steelers offense, I know that it's got to make you uh, thrilled watching that, Warren. Um, Big Ben, I mean, look, I'm not going to make you Apologize to my buddy Randy Feetner. <laughs> but, 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 might have been a miracle worker <laughs> after watching Big Ben this year. Big Ben, who came in in better shape than he's been in in a decade, they said. I mean, this looks like a 70 year old man. Half the time out there, it's unbelievable. 
And the Bengals just, after what was a disaster of a week for Joe Burrow and the Bengals, they turn around, go to Pittsburgh, and just mop the Steelers. What do we make of this? Well, let's let's start at the beginning here. Um, This is a game I pegged for an under. I I completely thought we were going to get some solid running out of the Bengals. They're just going to try to run the football here. The Steelers, we we knew what they were going to try to do after losing last week. Ben not looking great. They were going to try to come in here and run the football a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's so funny. The number of Steelers fans, I can't remember where you fell on this spectrum, uh, Chris, defending the Najee Harris pick, saying the first round running back is what we need. I mean, I, I can't. I went on Pittsburgh fucking radio telling these people, you need to draft an offensive lineman. The history of these first round running backs, the contributions of these first round running backs is not going to save a bad offensive line. You must build up that offensive line. You've got Ben Roethlisberger back there who you're going to need to throw. You may not want to throw the ball 70% of the time, but every single offense is going to be throwing the ball 62 to 5 to 8% in that range for much of the game. Just that's the way football is. And you're going to need to protect your quarterback. By going after a running back, you have no pass protection uh, out of that pick. And your upside of the run game is going to be limited by the blocking that the offensive line opens up. And if your O-line can't open up shit for your running back, I don't care if you got fucking, unless you got Barry Sanders back there or some shit, like it's not really going to make that big of a difference, which running back it is getting blown up in the backfield and connected, you know, before he gets past the line of scrimmage. And this past week, early downs in that first half, which is what I bet. I bet the under in the first half, which one, um, 10 rushing attempts for the Steelers, 3.4 yards per carry, and 20% success. Najee Harris has averaged, what did he average? He had 14 carries for 2.9 yards per carry in that game and a 14% success rate. He had one first down run the entire freaking day on 14 carries. Like, it's just not it. This is not the way that you build a team. They thought that they could just add this piece. I think I think that they were demented in thinking that. Um, and, you know, their defense has suffered injuries too. They didn't have TJ Watt out there. They've been banged up on that side of the football as well. Um, but this is this is just not a great team. They weren't the team that went 12-0 last year. We all thought that they were probably worse than that. And it ended up unraveling as defenses kind of figured out what the offense was trying to do, playing around to the limitations of what Ben Roethlisberger had. This year, we were hoping for Matt Canada to incorporate motion and a lot of movement and improve some things. Um, but that was like the most optimistic that we could hope because in the back of our minds, at least mine, it was always, well, this O-line isn't very good. And so what are you going to, what is any quarterback going to look like behind a shit O-line like this? And because he he's not going to look good. You're magnifying weaknesses of a quarterback. Um, one of the things you needed to do is push the ball a little bit more down the field, expand your passing attack, make the defense defend deeper. Don't let them just like run downhill against every single route because you're only throwing it three, four yards in the air down the field. The problem now is they were trying to do that. They were trying to design deeper offense, but A, you got limitations with Ben's accuracy down the field, but B, he can't survive in on a drop back for three seconds without the pass rush getting to him. So 
you know, yes, the, the, the Raiders pass rush last week was a good pass rush. And some people were talking about, oh yeah, they like the Steelers against the Raiders. I did. I like the Raiders in that game. Um, I didn't care about the time zone, the, 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 uh, the flight, the Raiders were playing Monday night against Baltimore. They had to fly all the way, you know, on a short week to play Pittsburgh. The, one of the shittiest spots you will ever find a team in this entire season. That game went to overtime for the Raiders. They win the game. It's all this hoopla, first home game, and then they won in, in Vegas and then with the crowd, and then they have to go out east. But that D-line of the Raiders going up against this Steelers O-line, it was just a massacre. There's nothing that passing attack could do. So... I don't know. That's that's all I have to say here. They, you can't run the ball and you can't pass the ball. What are you? And then your defense gets injured a little bit. Really, really, what are you? Um, I like the Bengals in this game too, uh, but I, I, I like the under more. Um, both of them hit. Right, speaking of unders, Warren, for an under, the one that went under by the widest margin in week three was that Falcons-Giants game. Uh, the total was 48. 31 points scored in the entire game. I saw your tweet last night and I was in stunned disbelief to read that the Giants at no point in five years have had a winning record, including being like one and oh, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, surely they were three and two at some point or four and three or five and four. I mean, it's not like that's some kind of great record, but you know, look, I'm going to trust you. You looked it up. They've never had a winning record in five years' time, and now they're 0-3, and you listed off the next four games they have, which would, of course, indicate they would need to sweep those to get to a winning record this year, and that was a true impossibility. And so that game went under by a wide margin. It's been another just horrendous start. Uh, of a season for the New York Giants. What are we thinking on them and that uh, that Falcons-Giants game? It's not like anybody comes away with that mega impressed with the Falcons either. I'll just say this. I don't root for any teams in the NFL, but if you root for anybody in the NFC East aside from the Giants, you absolutely want Dave Gettleman to remain in charge for as long as possible um, because this team has been a disaster since he's taken over. And, and 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 the record is true. So not at any point, and I'm not looking cumulatively. I'm not saying, okay, you know, three years, let's add up the records for all three years. I'm talking about like, yeah, 2017, nope. 2018, nope. Like 2019, could they have started one and oh? Maybe, like you said, they went, they went, uh, they lost their first game. Maybe they they won their next two and they were sitting at two and one before they started losing. Nope. There has never been a point in time in any of the last five years individually that this team had a winning record even for one fucking week. I mean, how can you be a fan of this team? This is what I don't understand about fans in general. Um, about any team, I don't care. If I was a passionate fan for any team, which I am not, thankfully, I just study the NFL. I analyze inefficiencies. I'm completely ground zero neutral. Um, if, if I say some negative things about your team, it's because I don't like what they're doing. It's not that I don't like your team. I actually would like your team to perform better. That is why I am calling out some of the things that they could do to improve themselves. Okay. Like I, it would be fun 
Actually, it is kind of fun when you're identifying negative things because that kind of tends to like have some more um, traction when you're talking about it. But it would be fun to watch a lot of good, efficient football league-wide. And you know what? Maybe I won't have a job if everybody's doing everything perfectly and every offense is putting up 50 points in every single game. Like I'm still, I'm still going to be betting on things. So I'm still going to be talking about things, but I'm not going to have as many hot takes, let's say, if everybody's doing things efficiently. I'm critical because I want your team to do better things and improve. And so that's what I don't understand about fans that defend their team. If you're such a passionate fan and losses kill you, forget like reading the media, forget like turning on your local radio station, opening up your newspaper, clicking on your website, scrolling Twitter from your team's beat reporters, forget all of that stuff. You are watching the game and you see that final clock tick down three two, one, zero, and you lost. If that hurts you, if you get upset when that happens, stop defending your team and the moves they make and the decisions they have and the coaches that they have and the players. And why are you defending that? Just because you like your team. If you like them so much and losses hurt you, you should want them to look better. You should want them to be smarter. It's okay to be critical of them. You're hoping that they'll improve. It's okay to say, Dave Gettleman, you fucking suck. Use a little bit better judgment. Use more analytics. Stop making fun of the people in the analytics space. That's not why I dislike him, but that was a stupid thing for him to say, okay? And the bottom line is this team is a major time struggle. And like you said, their next four games, they've got the Saints, Cowboys, Rams, and Panthers. This team's not going to have a winning record for the rest of this season. Like there is not going to be one point in time when the Giants fans can sit at home and say, hey man, at least we're, we got a winning record. Hey man, at least, at least we're in first place in the NFC East or second place. Like we're in contention. Like, no. And, and where's the, where's the, you know, the, the light at the end of the distance, you know, like where, where do we think that this thing is going to get better? You've got a quarterback in Daniel Jones. You're supposed to optimize him for this rookie deal, right? Like, This is the time that you should be winning. You're not going to win when you pay your rookie quarterback who didn't win during his rookie uh, season, uh, during his rookie contract. You're not going to win as soon as you start paying him big money. You're going to win when he's not making very much because of the way the rookie contracts are structured. And they're not. And they haven't. And so you're lost. Like, I, I I don't know. I feel I feel bad for the Giants fans. They don't like me because I am critical of them, but I feel like they should be look inwardly, guys. Like, be critical of yourselves. Like I want your team to have success and do smart things. Yeah, but they they gotta come on. You gotta take your frustrations out on somebody. I guess so. I mean, Jason Garrett's a disaster as a play caller too. So, like, what were you, you thinking? Don't say, what were you, you don't what say. What were you thinking when you go? You don't say. I live that life. What were you thinking you when you say. go out and hire Jason Garrett? I mean, he's he's terrible. His team is like second last in red zone touchdown rate. They're just they're just terrible. Well, maybe they, maybe, maybe they didn't know. Maybe they just hadn't seen him 20 times in the last nine years. The, the, the most hilarious thing is that a team in the division hired Jason Garrett. I'm, th- I'm sitting there watching that play out, and I'm like, hold on now. Hold on. If anybody, I could at least understand if it's somebody like on the West Coast who never played against, like maybe played against the Cowboys once and that game, the Cowboys were unbelievable against them. And so they have this outsized opinion of Jason Garrett, but for the Giants to hire Jason Garrett was, I mean, the height of comedy. 
And you know what? Every time he comes back, you know, him and Jerry Jones are hugging and kissing each other and all this stuff. And he's probably like a sleeper cell, <laughs> you know, for the, Cowboy, for the Cowboys still. I wouldn't be surprised. The one that hit the over by the biggest margin this weekend was the Bills and the football team. A total of 45 and a half and 64 points in this game. As a Josh Allen owner in fantasy, I was thrilled with the outcome of this game. Josh Allen and that Bills team got back on track in a massive way. I know their margin of victory against Miami was huge in week number two, but the offensive output was not insane. This, for the first time this year, looked like that Bills team of last year that scored over 500 points or whatever it was. Yeah, I'm super happy for for Buffalo. It was was absurd to me, uh, kind of hilarious, in fact, Everybody, I'm, I don't, maybe I'm wrong to say everybody because I didn't listen to everybody, but people that I heard, most everybody was talking about, well, this is the end of Josh Allen, flash in the pan 2020. This offense isn't what it was, all this type of stuff. Um, I was, I was very happy, uh, for a variety of reasons I can't detail. Um, very happy that they performed the way that they did. Uh, that they were able to see that level of success on offense. Um, I'm not expecting them to have as perfect of a season on that side of the ball as they did last year. Uh, that type of stuff, you know, is very difficult to uh, do year over year. But this was an outstanding performance from this team. Um, the Washington defense overrated. Um, Taylor Heineke tough start on the road against the Bills defense that made it a priority to improve their pass rush. Yeah, I uh for 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 a variety of reasons I was happy with this result. The one thing that the one thing that bothered me uh and from a betting perspective, there were there were actually two things. This was the only game that kind of I had it was it was my only loss um from the one o'clock games and I held out on playing the over. Uh, in this game, even though the model indicated there was a little bit of value. So that this was the only game that the model showed value that I didn't play. The other two games that showed value, I took them over and they both won. Uh, but I held off on playing this one. And, you know, I wasn't quite sure how quickly this Bills offense was going to hit the ground running. Um, they obviously did. And Heineke threw some bad interceptions that led to some points for uh, the Buffalo Bills as well. Um, but the interesting thing from a gambling perspective about this game, Chris, uh, that you don't really see very often is, so a lot of people got in on Washington early in the week, nine, nine and a half. They were, they were hitting the Washington football team, thinking that this was a good spot for them. Buffalo, 35 to nothing win over Miami in week two. That was a false final. The bo- offense didn't play quite as good. They still had some issues. Josh Allen didn't look great. Um, and so the thought was, okay, now you're going up against the Washington defense and Washington's offense might be able to do some things here. All these guys were betting on Washington, even the betting group. So I'm not talking about like just regular guys, I'm talking about like some of the betting groups are betting on Washington big time. This line, they drove all the way down to seven on game day. There were some spots at seven half, some spots at that seven. And usually when you see a game that goes from a high number, like 10, nine and a half, nine, 
eight and a half, like above the eight, and it goes all the way down to seven, you are going to find somebody that bets the opposite way. Like you're going to find not not I'm not talking about uh, Michael Thompson who has twenty dollars left in his FanDuel account and wants to bet on you know the Buffalo Bills minus seven. 10 minutes before the game starts. I'm talking about betting groups will come in with large money. And when that line gets back down to seven, they will bet that team because they're betting it back towards where the market opened, back towards nine and a half. And there's a lot of value when a line has moved. Crickets. Crickets. This line closed at seven. And we and I I'm, I look at the screen. I'm fucking staring at the screen right now. I do nothing but have the screen right in front of me and I work. Like I'm up till 3 a.m. working every night and get up at whatever time. Like I don't, I sleep maybe four or five hours a night. I'm looking at the screen the rest of the day, pretty much. There was nobody coming in to smash the Buffalo Bills minus seven here. And at that point I was like, hmm, this, this, this probably could be very, very strong. Um, and so I got involved a little bit on Washington for a smaller amount because I didn't like them very much. Uh, earlier, I didn't want to take them even at a eight and a half, eight, you know, I didn't see enough value there. But with this move, sometimes you're betting groups and information and, and things that you're told. And so with no buyback on Buffalo, I was like, fuck, maybe, maybe, maybe Washington like gives these guys a game and, and Buffalo's offense just came out yeah. primo and rolled. All right, let me ask you. Uh, we're not gonna do. We're not gonna do the. You got lucky if you bet because I don't feel like there is a great one. But we are gonna do. You got screwed if you bet, and it is my story, Warren. I'm gonna tell you about the most depressing thing that you can hear. Uh oh. Oh yeah. I hope this All is right. not bad, buddy. Oh oh, it's bad. It's bad. Maybe. Look, as someone who's been uh, betting on sports for a long time. I've taken some pretty horrendous losses and I haven't been able to get my mind around it to chart it and where this one would rank, but it's pretty damn high. So I looked at those. I looked at the numbers going into the week and I saw all those different numbers of like the percentage of bets on one side. And I thought to myself, you know what, man, this is going to be one of those weeks where there's some of these massive up uh, upsets um, because th this many people cannot win, and we've had outright underdog winners. I'm going to throw a bunch of these in a round robin. And so I did. Money lines. The Chargers were in it, and it was, a three, it was three teams, right? But I probably had, whatever, eight games in it or something like that, right? So Chargers are in it. Saints are in it. Falcons are in it. Hits, right? But that's low because the Chargers are like 290, but the other ones are like 130s or 125, something like that, right? Well, what are you looking for? What I mean, you, you can't you can't be too greedy, man. That's a solid fucking money line no. parlay. No, 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 no. It was not because again, it's a round robin that I'm doing here. So I'm gonna need the fourth one to hit because the three ones are dinkies. I've 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 staked a lot and I'm not winning much on that one. Okay. That, Wait, who did you parlay? Did you say I not said winning the much? Chargers, the Saints, and the Falcons? All right, but it's in a round robin. There's there's other teams in it, Warren. There's five other teams. Oh God. Okay. 
Yeah, it's it's your. I'm just saying if you, if you just parlay, if you just parlay those three together, know, you are winning. But I've got I've got all these other teams. It's a round robin. I didn't just parlay those. I needed it so it was round robin. So if four of these things or three of these things that are good hit, now we're banking, and so I had it in the bag. Monster, monster, Warren, monster. Because who's the other one? The friggin' Lions. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fourth and 19. Oh. Fourth and 19. And, and Lamar throws it down the field and completes it. They set up a 66-yard Justin Tucker field goal. And he makes – the Lions were like plus 300. So that goes into the round robin, and now we're round robin in four games, all the combinations of the three teams win. And no delay a game, no call at the end. But, but, but forget the delay a game. It's fourth and 19 from like their own 20. I mean, I'm counting money. I'm counting it. And then he goes out there, and they're like 66-yard field goal. Justin Tucker walks out. It hits the crossbar. I start celebrating. I said, oh, and then he says, and it's good. And I, I mean, you want to talk about hitting the ground on all fours. I was like, no, no. How, how does this happen? How now? My well, man, Scott Van Pelt, he does bad beats. And I know because it's not a, you know, they covered the line, but I had the money line. Like that was going to be a monster payoff. And if you can't win that when it's fourth and 19, when it's a sit at the NFL record, it's ne- li- like it's literally never happened in the history of the NFL. No one has ever made a kick that long until I needed the stupid lion's money line. And then it happened. And it's one of those where you're like, why, why, what am I doing here? Like, seriously, I'm just a loser. No, no. See, (laughs) see, I would, I would, I would absolutely be torn up if I was you (laughs) rightfully so, but I would absolutely not say, what am I doing here? I would absolutely say the exact opposite. Uh, You know, I would, I would absolutely be thinking, I'm reading the board really well. That's, you know, I'll talk about that, the, the, the lessons here about reading the board because it is a thing. But with respect to what you were doing there, I think you did a great job. Uh, uh, my sincere apologies. That was brutal. Uh, I will say on the pass to Sammy Watkins, what the hell is that guy doing staying in bounds? What, what are you even thinking? <laughs> Run out of bounds. You're right next to the sideline. He just cuts back to the middle of the field and just lays on the ground. Uh, it's like the clock's ticking. You got no more timeouts. The fourth and 19 was absurd. Uh, Lamar probably should have done better like before then. I mean, some of the stuff that Lamar's doing in the sacks, he was taking just like, what is, what are you doing here? By the way, by uh, the way, but, by the way, the knee biter guy, takes a timeout before the 4th and 19, and they still give up the 4th and 19. Yeah, it was, it was, that was rough. How do you that give up a 4th and 19 out of a timeout? Like, you just had time to plan. How do you stop a 4th and 19? That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, and and the and the delay of game, I will say this. as a As somebody who had Baltimore in a teaser, okay, 
and I saw that delay of game occur. Like I, I do agree. I know there's like a hitch. There's like a tick that you're supposed to look at the clock and do it. Um, I was thankful for the sport and thankful for my teaser that they didn't because I wanted to see what happened. Like I wanted to see if they could somehow do something here and 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 win this game with the kick. Like I wanted to see that. And if there was a delay of game, the game would have been over, I guess. But um, I, I absolutely was just completely baffled, especially the way that kick hits the crossbar and goes in. Uh, just a never, never seen anything like it. Like you said, it's never happened before, but absolutely crazy. So, all right, last last two things before we get out of here. I texted my buddy last night. Now you know I'm a Cowboys fan, and the 49ers go down. They score 28-27, and I texted my producer, who's a huge Niners fan, and I said that is too much time. I have lived this life. <laughs> he's gonna rip your heart out. He's gonna get into. He's gonna get into a uh, field goal range, and then Mason Crosby's gonna make a field goal. And sure enough, Aaron Rodgers does it again in prime time. I guess we could put to sleep the uh, Aaron Rodgers offseason was a massive distraction because that was a hell of a win there at the end of that game. I don't know what the hell was going on with Devontae Adams getting, you know damn near assassinated and no calls. And yet there are getting calls against the Packers. But I mean, the story ended up being Aaron Rodgers and completing those two huge passes to Devonte Adams, getting a field goal range when it mattered most. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, I thought Kyle Shanahan, you know, he was, he was out coached. Um, I thought that that defense that they played, I know he's not calling the defense, but he still, you know, got to help work with the DC in situations like that was terrible when you clearly have Devontae Adams. I mean, like, can you imagine Aaron Rodgers going to anybody else in that situation, uh, needing that many yards to gain and like expecting that MVS is going to come up with that catch? I mean, you got to make somebody else beat you at some point. Like you can't just let them go to Devontae Adams here. So I thought that defense was terrible. Um, the other thing that Shanahan says after the game, and I wouldn't have said anything about this unless Shanahan said something, but Shanahan said, yeah, I know that they got Aaron Rodgers over there. And I, that's why we weren't calling our timeouts late. We wanted the clock to tick and, and score at the last second. And I don't blame them for throwing it a pass down to your fullback and him efforting his way into the end zone. That's exactly what you want. When the play is snapped, that's what you want to have happen, right? Like if you're calling a play to score a touchdown there, then good luck, score the touchdown. If you want your guy to get down, like you should have told him to do that before, but that's not what they were doing. They were just calling the play to try to score. But the issue becomes, what are you doing snapping the ball with 12 seconds left on the play clock on a running clock? If they let that thing go, there's going to be less than 30 seconds left in the game before Aaron Rodgers gets a shot. And instead, you're giving him, you know, way more time than you should have. And frankly, when you have whatever they had, 45 seconds left in the half when they snapped that ball and three times, I think it was two or three timeouts, like you can do whatever you want. You, you know, you don't have that far to go. Clock should not really be a factor there unless you're taking a sack. Um, so I thought that was bad on, on their decision on that, on, uh, when they snapped the ball there. And this is Kyle Shannon. He's in the head of Jimmy G. Like there's still, I think the communication cuts out 15 seconds. So he's right. talking to him the whole fucking time. Um, he could have told him, okay, wait, wait till this play clock gets down closer to zero, but he didn't. And they just snapped the ball and went, um, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is a stud. All right, last thing. Uh, there's one more game left for week three. It is a Monday night game. It is Eagles. It is Cowboys. 
Any thoughts on tonight, uh, the spread, the total, how it's kind of been batted around? Not yet. Um, clearly, sharp money has come in on um, the Philadelphia Eagles here, but I did see some people betting the Cowboys earlier in the week. That was a bad bet, obviously, because now the line's down to three, three minus 15, three minus 20. You could have gotten a much better number if you just waited. Um, and that stuff matters. Being able to time the market uh, matters. You're not going to be able to do it every time, but I saw some betting groups come in and laying uh, Dallas when this thing opened. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. I'm really curious to see Jonathan Gannon's defense. It's one thing to go up against the Falcons week one with Arthur Smith, and then this Jimmy G led 49ers offense in week two. How does this defense without Brandon Graham in the middle anchoring things hold up against the Dallas Cowboys offense, which has looked really good, as you know. Um, you got all your receivers there. Your O-line is as good as it's been in the last year or so. Um, you got a couple backs that are capable. Um, as long as Dallas doesn't turn too run-heavy, they got a little run-heavy for my taste against the Chargers last week. Um, this is fucking Dak Prescott and these wide receivers. You're going to have the edge over virtually any uh, DB class out there. So. Take advantage of that. And and unless you're gaining like seven and a half yards per carry, then I would be skewing a little bit more to the pass than what they ended up doing against the Chargers the last game. They probably should have lost that game to the Chargers the last game out. Uh, so we'll see. That would be one way to impede their offense. The other way would be if Jonathan Gannon's defense really is the real deal and this guy is a DC, can figure out something to slow down Dak Prescott. Um, the other side of the ball uh, is going to be interesting to see. I really am looking forward to seeing the matchup of Micah Parsons against Lane Johnson, the Eagles' right tackle, see if he has any success from that side. But they also flipped Micah Parsons to the other side. And last week, he was going up against first-round pick Rashawn Slater. This week, he's going to be going up against a backup tackle, Andre Dillard, who did not work out very well for the Eagles at left tackle before, and that's why they replaced him. But due to injury, they're going to have to go back to him again. So look out for pressure on... Jalen Hurts' blind side, uh, which would come from Jalen Hurts' left uh, if Micah Parsons gets around the edge there. And otherwise, it's going to be interesting to see what this offense looks like for the Eagles because week one, controlled, measured passing attack. Short passes, one of the lowest dot in the NFL. Week two against the 49ers, they were do they were looking to do exactly what Aaron Rodgers ended up doing successfully, which is exploit the shit out of this bad 49ers secondary. The Eagles rightfully were attacking deep and they connected on a couple. They failed in the red zone at the goal line. Um, they had a guy step out of bounds by like a quarter of an inch um, on another deep shot. Like they were they had the highest a dot of any team in the NFL last week. So went from the lowest to the highest. What are we going to get this week? It's going to be interesting to see how they try to match up against the Cowboys. Um, so 52, 51 and a half is the total. And the Cowboys are favored right now by between three and three and a half points. Hopefully we get one more great game is what was a uh, fantastic NFL week three. Warren, I will talk to you next week. Awesome, Chris. That'll do it for us here today. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday with Ben Solak for the show that Joe House calls The Cheat Code, where we deep dive into the film and analytics ahead of week four. Thank you, of course, to Chris Vernon and to Mike Wargon and Steve Cerruti and Craig Holbrecht for producing the show. We will see you guys on Wednesday. Wednesday.